to turn around, just acknowledge each other, greet each other in a wonderful name. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. It's good to be here. Welcome. Amen. God bless. Good to be here. We're celebrating uh, Deacon Chris's uh, ordination last Sunday. He had to, already he's got responsibilities with the young people, and I hear it's going excellently, laying good foundations. Praise God. Let's give a clap off. Let's be alive in the house. There's life and that in more abundance, and he's different. Andreas is here as so welcome, Andreas. Amen. Let's welcome. Amen. Also, I'd just would like to welcome in the house uh, Bishop-elect, His Grace uh, Bishop Stanley. So let's give a clap offering. We're consecrating Bishop-elect next Saturday on the 2nd of uh, March. So we're looking forward to that wonderful, great celebration. Before I actually come to the message, maybe just come and just say greeting to the church. Give a greeting. Come up, your grace. Come and give a greeting. Praise God. Come say a few words. Come Amen. God bless you. I am so blessed to be here tonight. And it's a privilege to come and hear the word of God. There is nothing that brings the light than the word. And uh, tonight, I believe we are all going to be blessed by having the Archbishop in teaching. God bless you. God bless you. And welcome your armor bearer as well. God bless you. We have his armor bearer as well. Let's give a clap offering for him as well. Praise God. Always the bishops travel with an assistant. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's good. Good to be here. God bless you. Tonight's message, uh, basically the theme for tonight's message, it's um, the mountain, it's uh, the subject mountain experiences. Amen. Sometimes we have valley times in our lives. We go come low, but sometimes we're taken up high. But nonetheless, irrespective whether you're in the valley or you're on the mountain, God is still God. God is the God of the mountain and the God of the valley, praise God. And he's all place, fills all things. Importantly, we've got to acknowledge his presence, whatever situation, whatever circumstance. I want to take a journey through the word of God and follow the example of the master himself. Because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ identified in every area of our lives, of the human nature. And he took on full humanity but still remain divine, not mixing the two. Sometimes you saw the divinity revealed. Sometimes you saw the humanity, praise God. But at no time mixing either or, but he was full, fully human because if he did not take humanity and fully identify with us, he couldn't save us. He had to connect with us in an intimate way, praise God. Hallelujah. And I want to take that journey because his experiences become our experiences. When the Apostle Paul was going through his journey, his challenges... He was learning through those challenges, but as he was going through those challenges, he was being shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I wish I'm speaking to someone. And that's what God intended from the beginning, because in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us an opportunity to restore that divine identity that we should have had that was taken and robbed from us because the enemy changed the, our, the, the, our makeup changed our relationship with God, and Jesus Christ came to restore that. So the more we know about Jesus Christ, the more we learn from him, the more we learn who we should be and our capacity, how the mode of our function and the possibilities, what we can do when we know our, our identity and our nature, who we are in him, praise God. So I want to take this journey with you, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and see what the word of God tells us about the mountain experiences. 
Amen. And I pray we'll go to that place. And there are different types of mountains. Mountain, there's a positive connotation to it and there's a negative connotation to it. Sometimes there are mountains we don't climb, we have to move. I wish I'm speaking to someone. Sometimes the mountains have to remove, have to be removed from, from around our lives and in our lives, praise God. Whatever those mountains, they're metaphorical. The word the mountain is a metaphor for something else. There might be a burden you might be carrying that through faith has to go. But there are other types of mountains that we have to ascend and make the effort to ascend to have a closer connection with God because it was on the mountain, in, on the mountain range that God encountered his people. Well, Moses himself in the Old Testament, it was on Mount Sinai that the Lord encountered, met Moses and spoke to him and gave him the message for the people of Israel, praise God. We have Elijah run and hid in the mountain and God met him at the mountain experience of his life. So I don't know why we're on the mountain or where we have come from tonight, but I pray God will meet you at that place this evening as we take this journey through the word of God. So mountains are metaphors, represent different things in our lives. So I want to just take this journey and put some things in place. Hallelujah. As we survey through the scripture, when it speaks about mountains, we see Jesus himself was a mountain climber. Yeah? We found, we find, in fact, when Jesus had a position and had forced uh, accusations against him and people doubted him. The place he would go, the quiet place he would go to be by himself was on the mountain. Yeah, which gave an opportunity for him to connect with his father in heaven. I want to lay a few foundations, a few verses, foundation this evening, just to encourage us. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 11, I want to read this passage, these few verses. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. It says this, but when they were, but they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So when you encounter adversity, and Jesus identified with us, what do we do? He didn't go to the phone. He didn't go and have a gossip meeting or a pity party. He went to the mountain and prayed. He ascended to the mountain, which is a metaphor. Going to the mountain means lifting our minds up to God, to the realm of divine, the, the, the spiritual realm. And he would go and he'd pray. And we're told he prayed all night, not for an hour, not for a few hours. He prayed all night, which was amazing, powerful. And after he had prayed, we're told his decision-making was clearer. Because from the human level, Jesus had to go through our experiences. And he had to experience the challenges that we experience. And verse 13 tells us this. And when it was day, see, he was all night in prayer. Oftentimes in our generation, people are all night in clubs, doing all sorts of things all night on their Instagram, on their social media, all night doing all these things. And they're not benefiting from them. They're draining them rather than giving into their lives. Yeah? Yeah. But when Jesus was all night praying, he was empowered because the more you pray, the more power you have. It's like putting fuel in you. It's like you're running on empty and you go and pray, you go in your prayer closet and you come out empowered. It's like being a superman, going into the telephone box, taking your outer clothes and coming out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish I'm speaking to someone. Amen. And so when you pray, you are, you are doing, you're, you're benefiting yourself. Prayer is empowerment. Yeah. Power in prayer. So I will encourage you, just be prayerful, praise God. 
you know, and you're still, you'll be still, you're praying. And prayer is not just about all, all the time speaking. Prayer is also about listening to what God wants to say into our lives. Being still. And sometimes silence is, is golden, is amazing. It's good to be still. We've got so much static noise around our life, so many distractions that we need to be still sometimes and come out of that toxic noise, those toxic voices that bring us down and listen to the voice of God that lifts us up, elevates us above our adversities and above our challenges. I pray the people at home are being encouraged as well at this same time, praise God. And we see in verse 13, we're told this, and when it was day, praise God, and I pray it's day for us. Day is not the 24-hour cycle. Day is when Christ comes into our lives, it becomes day. Because God came down from heaven to make our, our nighttime daytime. Yeah? Hallelujah. Night, nighttime might be challenging. Psalm 30 verse 5 says this. I want you to please just be, be encouraged this evening. I want to encourage you to leave here being encouraged. His anger is back for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. But when he steps into, into your morning, into your life, into your nighttime, it becomes daytime because he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, praise God. But joy comes in the, mom, in the morning. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. And helps us rise above the adversity and the challenges of life, praise God. Hallelujah. So we're reading this. When it was day, I pray it is day for us today. Because Jesus Christ is the day. He is the day the Lord has made that we are rejoicing and we are glad in it, praise God. And he called his disciples to himself. From them he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. So if you want to make a decision, before you make your decision, pray. You get clear-headed. When we want to put people in responsibility in the church, I didn't just, just, just haphazardly select Chris to be a deacon. We prayed about it. I sought the counsel of the Lord. I wanted divine direction. Because putting the wrong person in the wrong place can damage the, the ministry and damage the person and damage the work that you've given them to do. If they're not qualified... They're gonna, they won't be able to function according to the responsibility that's been entrusted to them, praise God. If someone's studied car mechanics and you've given them some brain surgery to do, there's going to be a problem. You're going to have a mess. And that's what we do in our generation. We study one thing and we want to do something else. But there's difference. God is about God. Time and God's guidance and God's wisdom and God's discernment has to come into the equation before we move. Be still and know that He's God. It's like driving the car. You mirror, indicate to maneuver. You don't just drive haphazardly, blindly as soon as you oh, let me go and just come out the lane. You want to see what's coming along your side. And prayer does that. When you pray, you're being still. You're looking, looking around you and seeing how you're going to move, move and move forward. And you're looking at the hazards that are around you that God would identify you to safeguard you to avoid them, praise God. And he leads the way. That's why he said, follow me. He doesn't follow your imagination. This is a run ahead of me. He said, follow me, because I know where I want to take you. You don't even know where you're going. How many people don't know where they're going? And God wants to take over and take the lead of our lives. And when we trust him, our lives are transformed. And whatever we encounter, we're in a safe place, because we know he's going to deal with the situation, because we're helpless and hopeless without him. Because he says in John chapter 15, verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. But we try and do ourselves. And this is like kind of psychology of, say, the Western world in this nation. It's to do every corner, you've got to do it, do it yourself shop. Yeah? 
But it's not, the gospel's not about doing it yourself. The gospel is about giving yourself to the hands of the potter, of the master, and he'll do it for you, in you, and through you, as I said last week. Amen. Praise God. He chose 12 whom he also called apostles. So, interestingly, he chose 12. He's creating the new man, the spiritual man. Because in the Old Testament, there was 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is the 12 apostles. Now, stand in the place from a spiritual uh, place. In the Old Testament, it was legality. The law, the, it was legalism. Now, it's grace, spiritualism. So, he chose 12 apostles to parallel the 12 tribes of Israel, praise God. Interesting. Because in the Old Testament, one of the tribes has been written out of the book of Revelation, which is the tribe of Dan. And interesting, the 12 apostles, one of them has been written out, Judas, and Matthias has put in his place. Interesting, the parallels. Is it coincidence or is there a divine plan, a divine mind as, as God unfolds the economy of salvation? It's powerful and it's very profound. Hallelujah. And so when people doubted him, what does he do as well? It goes, moves further because in John chapter 7, verse 52, I want to read this as we... Look at our mountain experience. So when people oppose you and challenge you, go to your prayer closet. Don't just talk about it and regurgitate it. Give it to the Lord and let it intervene and deal with it. Praise God. Then they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? This is Nicodemus. Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Because they were challenging Jesus then. But Jesus was not, from, was not born in Galilee. He was born in Bethlehem. But they were blinded because they never made, took the time to learn who Jesus was. And before we make a, form an opinion about somebody around our lives, let's get the facts first. Let's have the information to make an informed decision. Don't just go be a hearsay, just hear the naysay, the hearsay, whatever people say. Learn for yourself. Acquire the information. Knowledge is power. And, be, and make an informed decision. That's very important. Verse 53. And everyone went to his own house. You see, everyone went to their own place. Yeah? So when we leave here, everyone's going to go to their own house. Is that right? This evening. But who's going to go to the mountain? It begs the question. Everyone's going to go to their own house. But who's going to go to... Verse 54. So verse 8, 1. But Jesus went to the mountain of olives. See, everyone went to their own home. Jesus went to the mountain of olives. He goes, it become, there's good habits and bad habits. It was habitual for Jesus to go to the mountains, praise God, to pray. He prayed, and when he prayed, he still prayed, praise God. And it's important to pray. It's very important. Don't just leave things to chance. Trust God. Hallelujah, praise God. You see, the thing is, when Jesus ministered, he leads other people to come to where he is. Yeah? It's very important that that's why Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Jesus Christ. In fact, when he speaks about the end time, and he says, when the prophecy of Daniel is fulfilled... He said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, those who are in Judea flee to where? The mountains. Because it's mountain experiences are important. They're a place of prayer, a place of divine connection, a place of lifting your mind into the heavenly realm to look beyond the limitations that are blurring and blinding us. Praise God. Zacchaeus was a man of short of stature. 
but he climbed this mountain, which was the sycamore tree, to see Jesus. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowds, the obstacles, the barriers around him, the limitations they placed him under. So he ran ahead of the crowds, ahead of the problems, ahead of the doubters, and he found the tree, and he climbed the sycamore tree to get an advantage view of Jesus. That tree became his mountain, and Jesus stood by and looked up at him at his mountain and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Make haste, come down, because today I must come to your house. Um, today I'm not going to go to the mountain because you've gone to the mountain, and because you've gone to the mountain, I'm going to come to your house. Yeah? And so we need, to, we need to flee to the mountains of prayer. So what's happening? When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, as Daniel the prophet prophesied, this is in Matthew chapter 24. I want to put the verses, make a note of them. When you go back to your mountain, start praying and get had a connection with God. Because on the mountain, that's where you're going to see God. Hallelujah. You can see him in the valley as well. But more so in the mountain, when you make the effort to ascend the mountain of prayer. Hallelujah. This is Matthew chapter 24 verse 15 says this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then he goes on to say the next verse, he says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Meaning take your mind up to the heavenly realm, plane to connect with God, to listen to the voice of God. Because those who are at the foot of the mountain or in the lower plane will not hear the voice of God. They'll be too preoccupied with what they're doing, in, in the, like Noah at the time of Noah and the time of Lot. Be too engaged in carnalities and sensualities. But you need to rise above the flesh and connect it to the spirit to liberate yourself from what? From yourself first and from all the influences around our lives. We need to be liberated. So we need to ascend higher because the devil cannot, cannot fight on the mountain pinnacle. He tries to, but he cannot succeed. Oh, I wish I'm speaking. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. He tries to fight on the pinnacle of the mountain. I'm going to show you. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, sometimes Jesus goes alone to the mountain. In, the, in, in for example, the, the references I, I, I've quoted earlier. But let me go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Sometimes Jesus goes alone. And sometimes you have to go alone. It's a lonely journey. It's a lonely walk when you ascend your mountain of prayer. Because oftentimes, all the people around you cannot understand your journey. They'll contradict your journey. They'll undermine your journey. They'll confuse you and put, try and put doubts in your mind about your own personal journey. And sometimes you have to let go of the crowds and separate yourself and go to the pinnacle of the mountain on your own to get divine direction and wisdom from God. Hallelujah. So it tells us, and when he had sent the multitudes away, you sent everyone away. You don't need an audience when you're praying to God. Yeah, you don't need an audience when you pray to God. It's a, it's a personal, private thing between you and God. And you don't have to tell everyone what God tells you in your prayer closet. Sometimes it's just for you. It's not for everyone else. It's just for you. God's speaking personally to you in your life. And he says he went up on the mountain by himself to what? To pray. Now, if it, were, if it was important for Jesus, who's the Son of God, the Word of God, without sin... To go to the mountain of prayer and pray, how, much, how important, how much so important is it for us to have a time of prayer in our lives? Meaning that prayer is very important. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane and Peter, John and James were with him and they fell asleep, Jesus woke them up and says, could you not even pray for one hour? He says, pray lest you come into temptation, he said to them. 
The flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to be pray. We need to pray to strengthen our spirit. We, we're weak in the spirit, but maybe strong in the flesh. But we need to be strong in the in the spirit, and the flesh will follow suit. Hallelujah! In on many different levels, in many different ways. And he was alone. And, and now, when he himself uh, to pray, now when evening came, he was alone there. There's another scripture which says, "He says, you're all going to leave me, and I shall be alone." But he says, but I'm not alone because my father is with me. You might have left everyone alone to be alone, but let me, you're not alone because God is with you on the pinnacle of the mountain when you're praying in your prayer closet. You can never be alone with God. When God, when you connect to God, you can, he, you can never leave his presence. As Psalm 139, David tells us, wherever I go, I cannot flee from your spirit, from your presence. If I make my bed in Sheol, in hell, you are there. Hallelujah. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Verse 8. If I ascend into heaven, you are there. What a contradiction this is. He's in heaven, but he's in hell at the same time. And what is a hell? A hell is being in the, in the presence of God and knowing that you've denied him, you've rejected him. The uncomfort is like a hell. When you're in the presence of love, when you have hate, it's a kind of hell. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Then he says this. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Wow, you can never leave. Once you acknowledge him, to know him is to love him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So sometimes he goes alone to the pinnacle. Other times he takes disciples with him. And we see that many examples of synoptic gospels, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. He takes the three close disciples, Peter, John, and Andrew. He takes them to the, the mountain. And so here, we're told here, sorry, Peter, John, and James, he says this in Luke 9, 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So he took them to show him the way, the spiritual way, by example. There's two great teachers in life. One is example and one is experience. Oftentimes, you know, we overlook, we overlook, we, 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 we sometimes misfocus and we don't learn the lessons and we don't acknowledge the examples. But we need to be more, more vigilant about these things and learn from our experiences and other people's experiences in life and follow and look at other people's examples, the good examples, praise God. And he goes up to pray in verse um, 29. And as he prayed... The appearance of his face was altered, and his face became, uh, and his robe became white and glistening. So as he prayed, something happened. So the Bible tells us, look, we go to the mountain when we're uh, opposed. We go to the mountain when people doubt us to pray. We go to the mountain sometimes when we want to experience a change, a divine change, transformation, metamorphosis. And when you pray, and when Moses was on the mountain with God receiving the commandments, it was 40 days and 40 nights, when he came down, he didn't realize that his face was radiating from the Shekinah glory of God reflected on his face. The radiation of the rays of God on his face reflected out. He was glowing by being in the presence of God. You cannot be in the presence of God and come out of your mountain of prayer and look the same way as you went in there. There's got to be something different about you. People are going to see the way you walk has changed, the way you talk has changed, the way you behave. When you're in the mountain experience of God and experience such a kind of glory, people see a difference. You don't even have to say. They're going to say, that person is different. That's right. 
If you've gone in your prayer closet 40 days fasting and 40 nights and come out looking the same, you've, thought you've just gone for a diet. You haven't fasted, you've dieted. Fasting means break, wrestle, like Jacob wrestled with the man of God, the man all night with the sunrise. And he's, he touched his hip and he was limping and they saw his walk had changed. Why? Because he was in prayer. You see, the vocabulary changes. You see, oftentimes, you know, we read the Bible, they speak, your grace, they speak about speaking in tongues, and people frown at it. Oh, they're speaking in tongues, it's, it's gibberish, it's the devil's language. Yet people use cuss words and swear, and it's acceptable. The devil's language is acceptable, but God's language is not acceptable. Yeah? We burn incense to God. People do other things, and they, and they say to us, oh, what are you doing these rituals? It's not a ritual. It's serving God. It's trying to a glory to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. They, it's all t- confusing. They've conf- the, the world has been confused. So as he prayed, his appearance of his face was altered. If you want to change something about your life, don't do all these cosmetic things. You can't do them. I, don't, I know people are going to... You can't do them. Don't. But if you want a spiritual change, pray. Come on, I'm, 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 let's, let's be real about church. Let's get serious about our journey, our eternal journey. No one can guarantee anything in life. But when you're in God, he guarantees your eternity. That's the most important thing. So as he prayed, his face, his changed. There was something altered and, and his, his robe became white and glistening. So I pray that we will experience that, that experience of God. And there'll be, there will be a change in our lives for the positive, for the good. And people will see that and benefit from it. And look at that example. Because he took his disciples and showed them what, 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 what was required. Showed them the attitude to have. To the, there is, you can connect with God if you make the effort. But now I just want to just say, just little, have a, a little parenthesis here. There was 12 apostles. Why was there only three on the mountain? Because you're close to God as, as, as you want to be, not as he, he wants you all to come. But you're as close as God as you desire to be close to him. Even John, the evangelist, was so close, he leaned on, on Jesus' breast. Praise God. And so you can, God will allow you to be as close or as far to him as you desire. The decision is in your hands, praise God. So, so there are times that Jesus goes alone to the mountain, and there will be times you're going to be on your own. You're going to be wrestling and you're praying your own time. Other times, other people will be with you. Either you're learning from them or they're learning from you to encourage each other at the mountain top of prayer, praise God. But there are other times, other people will take you to the mountain. I wish I'm speaking to someone today. Hallelujah. Don't try and second guess God. You won't do it. Other times, other people will take you to the mountain. And there was a, uh, there's a narrative that somebody else took Jesus to the mountain. And that person that took Jesus, or that being that took Jesus to the mountain, was not for a good purpose. Was to bring him down. And that was the devil. In the temptation, in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, so be careful who you follow to the mountain. Because there's mountains of pride. You'll be careful because there's an arrogance sometimes about look how people are important. In Luke chapter 4 verse 5 says, Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain. Not just any mountain, a very a high mountain. In fact, in fact, Matthew says a very high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
and says, look at all these. I'm taking this home. Look, lift yourself up. And verse 6 says this. And the devil said to him, all this authority I give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. And verse, uh, verse 7, therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And there's the mountain of pride. There you have it. So be careful who you follow to the mountain peak. Hallelujah. And what's the expectation placed on you? Yeah, when you are at this place. Great empty promises that produce nothing. Praise God. Amen. Because the world wants you to bow to the powers that be. And verse 8, Jesus responds. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Even in that place, he gives honor to God. Hallelujah. And sometimes your enemy will take you to a place to give you an advantage to get closer to the God you serve. Hallelujah. To, 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 to disqualify, hallelujah, all these advances, all these temptations through acknowledging the true and living God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I wish I'm speaking to someone today. Hallelujah. Others take you to a mountain sometimes. So the devil takes Jesus to the mountain. And on that mountain, he still gives glory to God, still confesses his father. So it, the implication is this. Whatever situation you are in, whatever, whoever puts you in any situation, you always have the ability to give glory to God. They cannot take that away from you. They can do whatever they want for you physically, but they cannot take what's in your heart, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So from even that, that, that position... Taking him up and giving him a temptation. He still gave glory to God. He disqualified the enemy, rebuked the enemy, and rose above all their temptation, all their adversity to give glory to his Father. So any situation in your life, if you trust God, you'll rise above it to give glory to God. In fact, they'll take you nearer to you, the God you serve. Someone else who took Jesus to the mountain was the, was the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the high priests giving Jesus over to Pontius Pilate, to the Roman emperor, and him sentencing him to be crucified on, on the mountain of Golgotha. They took him to the mountain, the, 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 the Roman judicial system put Jesus on the mountain, pinnacle of the mountain, as an emblem, as a spectacle for all to see, the power of the Roman Empire. But in that moment, the power of the Roman Empire was disqualified and the glory of God shone forth and dispersed all the, the, all the powers that be, all the, all the principalities and rulers of that were destroyed on that mountain. At that, they took him to destroy him, but it reversed on them. They were destroyed. They threw a stone and it came back on them. They dug a hole and they fell into the pit. They rolled a stone and he rolled back on them. It reversed. It was reversed. It was returned to sender. I wish I'm speaking. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to decode it for us. But even at that place, from the mountain of Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus still gives glory to his Father. Hallelujah. He still is victorious. Hallelujah. Praise God. From the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. He transcended them on every level, in every way, because your enemy doesn't want you to forgive him. You get that when you get home. People don't. People want you to have begrudgment, to have begrudgment, to be embittered. Because when you're embittered and you have begrudgment and you become unforgiven, unforgiving, you become a prisoner to them. You become their prisoner. When you don't forgive them, you become their prisoner. They have shackles around your legs, shackles around your feet, and you will become. When you forgive them, those shackles are broken. You're no longer anyone's prisoner because they're no longer living in your mind, in your soul, and in your spirit. You are liberated. You are set free. And if the sun sets you free, you are truly free indeed. 
So forgiveness is empowerment. So you let go. So Jesus on the cross of, says, Father, forgive them. You know that person who upset you yesterday? Forgive them. Don't carry them. Like the story of the two monks were walking down this, this field and they swore an oath of celibacy. They'll never touch a woman. And on the path, on the journey to go to their weather destination, they encountered the woman by a lake. And she said to the first one, good sir, would you help me cross this lake? He turned and said, woman, he says, I've, I, I've got a vow of celibacy. I can't touch you. I've got to, I can't have anything to do with women. Sorry, I can't even speak to you. And he walked on. His friend passed by and she said, would you help me? He goes, no problem. He picked her up and he crossed her over the lake and put her on the other side. He went back and joined his friend. Six miles down the way, his friend who didn't carry her was tormented, was angry. He said, what's, what's wrong, my brother? He says, back there six miles, we have taken a vow of celibacy and you've carried that woman over the lake and, and you've broken your, your vow. He said, look, my brother, he said to him, I carried that woman a hundred yards. You've been carrying her for six miles. When you don't forgive someone, you carry them for a long time. You carry that for a long time. And God wants, and prayer helps us put it down. When we go to the mountain, pray, and sometimes prayer is not comfortable. Prayer is not always easy. We need to, we, we need to look at, be, re, be real with how we look at our, our, ourselves, our soul and our spirit and who we are in our mind and become naked before God and show really what's really going on with us and not hide behind the facade of everything is okay. And how begrudgments in our heart, we need to become empty so God can cleanse our hearts so we can actually see him. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. Come on, I wish I'm speaking to someone today. And so, John chapter 19, verse 15. Let me just qualify these before we move on. But when they cried out, away with him. This is Jesus when he's uh, being sentenced to crucifixion. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Yeah? So they, re, they renounce, they disconnect to king of glory. Hallelujah. And they get a worldly king. Hallelujah. And they reap the fruits of what they sow, they reap. And then the, they delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. And that was the mountain. Hallelujah. Mount Moriah where the same place geographically where Abraham took his son to, to, to sacrifice him. And God intervened, stepped in and gave his son Isaac back. But then God followed through with his own son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, had him crucified for the world, praise God. Because Isaac was a, a foreshadow, a prefigurement, a type of Jesus Christ. But God didn't take it to its full extent. That's why Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, before Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to crucify him. They wanted to throw stones at him. Because he identified with the God of Israel, praise God. But what what he meant, the implication he meant by that statement before Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. How can Abraham see your day? You weren't even born in those days. You're, you're not 50 years old. He said, Abraham saw me in Isaac. Hallelujah. Abraham saw me in the symbol of what was represented to offer his son Isaac and he rejoiced. And Abraham saw me when I appeared to him as Melchizedek. He saw me when he offered me the offerings and what, he, what I, the dialogue and connection with him, the, the bread and the wine. He saw me in those, in those symbols, praise God, and he rejoiced. He didn't see the fulfillment realization, but he saw me. Hallelujah. I wish I'm speaking to someone today, praise God. And so we see this, this is the place. So from the mountain, he forgives. From the mountain, he gives. 
He said to, to Mary, behold your son. To John, John, behold your mother. Praise God. To, from the mountain, he gives paradise. Come on. When he has nothing else to give, he says, I thirst. The one who gives the living water said, I thirst. He was dried up because he, he rinsed himself out like a sponge, squeezed all, the, all the, 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 the life out of him to impart it on us. And he said to the thief on the cross, when he said, remember me, he said, today you shall be with me in paradise. He gave him a paradise. Where can he produce paradise? On the cross, empty, naked, nothing, nothing more he could do. But he gives paradise. And it's never over with God. When the world thinks it's over, God can produce a paradise from nowhere. Hallelujah. Because Genesis chapter 1, verse, I want to read this very quickly just to qualify because you lose the meaning in translation. It says this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. See, he is the beginning. He is the beginning. John 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And verse 2, let me go to John very quickly before I go to Genesis chapter, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. This is the word. Verse 3, watch this. Verse 3 says this. All things were made, what? Through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So who? The word, because that word is Jesus Christ. Because the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. So in the beginning, he created everything through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So he was in the beginning. So if he was in the beginning, he has no beginning of days, no end of days, because he precedes the beginning. He's the beginning and the end of our concept of creation, but he supersedes, he transcends the limitations of our history and our creation. He's outside of time, but influences time. He's the makeup of time, praise God. Hallelujah. And so we see Genesis chapter 1, listen very, very quickly, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word, there's, sometimes we lose a meaning in translation. What it means here, God brought everything from nothing. So you don't create from something that's there. He brought something from nothing. There was nothing and he brought things into existence from nowhere. That's the, that's the dimension of God. Hallelujah. That's the capacity of God. He can create something from nothing. He can, he can transform our lives. He can produce something. In our emptiness, he can fill us in his amazing way. He, that's what he does by nature. Hallelujah. Praise God. Are you still with me? We've got some more verses to go through. Let's, let's try and get through this, the next few passages. Praise God. And so we see that the mountain place, many amazing things happen on mountains. Look at that. Speaking to the Father, hallelujah. Conquering the enemy on the mountain, hallelujah. On the high, high ground, praise the Lord. He does things beyond our capacity to really, truly, truly understand him. In the Old Testament, it wasn't like that as the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God forbade the people to ascend the mountain, God forbade them to even touch the foot of the mountain on punishment of death. Come on. In fact, Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. I want to read this. It's very useful to put it in a context because if you're an Old Testament mindset, legalism, you won't be able to climb the mountain. If you're legalistic, you cannot climb the mountain. When you follow rules, writs, rites, and ceremonies, you won't be able to ascend the mountain. You won't be able to even approach it or come near it. And so in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10, this is what we read here. It says here, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. 
verse 11. And let them be ready for the third day. Wow. Prophetic foresight. A prophetic declaration. Get ready for the third day. Get ready for the resurrection. Get yourselves ready. Examine your hearts. Deny the old man. Wash yourself. Cleanse yourself with repentance because the third day is coming. The resurrection is coming. The Friday you're crucified. The, 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 the Saturday you're resting in glory. The, th- the third day you're rising in a new dimension. Praise God. For on the third day, the Lord will come down, up, uh, down upon Mount Sinai and the sight of, in the sight of all the people. Christ, when he, has, he didn't come down, he ascended. Hallelujah. From the tomb, from Mount Moriah. And verse 12. You should set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain should surely be put to death. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, we were forbidden to even approach and touch the mountain. Here comes Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. A few centuries later, a few thousand, a thousand years later, and says now, reverses everything. Now before you couldn't come to the mountain, now he's telling you to come to the mountain. Hallelujah. Change the dimension, praise God. Hallelujah. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, not only does he tell us to come, he goes for, before us to show us the way up the mountain. Uh, he says, then, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. So he went up on the mountain. This is the Lord who came down in the Shekinah glory at Moses' time. Now he's come down to help us to go up the place he forbade us before to go to. And when he was seated... What happens? His disciples came to him. Hallelujah. They came up to the mountain to him, praise God. And verse 2 says this. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying, hallelujah. So not now, he doesn't only speak through the law. He speaks directly to his people. He's taken the middle mediator from between himself and the world away. He's removed the curtain that, that separated us. He's removed it and he stepped out to meet us where we are because the priesthood had failed to represent him. But the reason we know they failed to resurrect, uh, represent him is because when he came, the same priesthood that should have been represented him killed him. Yeah. Not directly, but gave him over to the Romans to be. So he removed them. He said, Step aside now. Hallelujah. God is in the house now. God is stepping out. Step aside. I've got to do this. If you want something done, do it yourself. And that comes from God. So he's pushed them aside and said, I'm coming out now. And that's what happened. He comes, meets us where we are. Our role as ministers is to point to Jesus. Our role as, as ministers is not to make ourselves Jesus. In that sense, we become like Christ, to follow his example. But we point to, we're the signposts to get you to have a relationship with Jesus. That's our role. That's our responsibility. We work together. We have order in the house. But ultimately, Christ has to be manifest in our midst. And have a, everyone has a viewpoint of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's powerful. It's powerful. So now... We, we see the Old Testament, Moses only received the revelation of God. The people couldn't approach. Now, it's open for everyone has access to God. It's the heart that determines how close we get to him or how far we are to him. And sometimes getting to God makes an effort. And I want to finish on the last few thoughts about making the effort getting to God. I'm trying to tune into the wavelength of everywhere everyone is spiritually, so I'm trying to just decode it. I want to show you what it takes 
God makes himself accessible. But it's only accessible as long as it's consensual to us to want to get to him. And if we want to get to him, nothing in the world can stop us getting to him, praise God. Hallelujah, praise God. So we see in the gospel, I just want to move on to another portion in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verse 30. Actually, let me go to verse 29. It says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Watch this, verse 30. We just had the mountain experience. Verse 30. Then, then great multitudes came to him. So he, Jesus, skirted Galilee, Galilee uh, and so forth, and he comes down, he goes to the mountain, and we see now then great multitudes come to him. Many people find out where he is geographically and they come, gravitate towards him, gather around him. And he says that they all, he's on the mount. I want you to put for your minds, I envision, have a vision of what's happening here. He's on the mountain. Let me go to verse 29 again, please, very quickly. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. He went up on the mountain and sat down there. Okay? It's very important. He sits on the mountain, and then we find in verse 30, people hear, word goes around that Jesus is on the mountain, and what happens? Then the great multitudes came to him. So where are they coming to him? He sits on the mountain, so what, for them to get to where Jesus is, they have to do something. They have to climb. Now, they're all not only climbing, they're doing something else. Having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. They're climbing the mountain. They're not climbing alone. They're carrying other people with them on the mountain that makes it doubly or even more harder the effort to climb to get to Jesus okay now I want to show you a few things I want to compare and contrast and look at what's happening here and they laid them down to Jesus's feet and he healed them so they make the effort they climb the mountain they bring the lame the blind the sick put them at the feet of Jesus he's sitting now on the mountain he doesn't make an effort to get climbed down to meet them where they are. We say, God, do it for me. So I'm here, you come to me. Where God is already there before, he, before you call him, God fills all things. But physically, Jesus was in one geographical place, which was a high plane. It meant that the, the, the implication is if you want to get to me, you have to make the effort to climb. But you're not only climbing for yourself, you're climbing for someone, for some other person, for someone else in a need. It would have been easier if Jesus would have said, hold on, I'll come down to you. God purposely makes things hard. When you're training to be an athlete, if you're not exerting effort, and I knew Deacon Wino, he runs a fitness uh, center, gymnasium. He knows about this. If you make things easy, they cannot develop and grow. You've got to make it harder for them to achieve, to rise above their limitations. 
you've got to change their diet, you've got to change their attitude, you've got to change their mindset. And that hardship toughens their character and reveals what's inside of them. Do you really want me? Because if you're going to be picking up a person every week, just driving them to church and then driving them home and giving them money and looking after them, that's fine. They'll come every week to church. But if you say catch a bus or walk to church or drive to church, they may not, maybe one week, two weeks, you may not see them for dust in the next few weeks. Because sometimes God wants to see the effort and he meets you according. God is the great reciprocator and you reciprocate what you do. Because God will give like for like and in fact he supersedes what you give. You give one, he gives ten. You give ten, he gives a thousand. You give a thousand, he gives a billion. God can outgive you every time. And he could have made it easy, but he did not make it easy. He wanted them to show that they really wanted to get to him. And he, wait, he waited, and God waited for them, was patient and waited for them to, make, to bring the lame, the sick, the blind to him. It would have been easy if he would have stepped out of his seat and gone down and met them. But sometimes God works in that way. Because he wants to expose our true intentions, our true values, and what we really want. It's powerful. Now, who are the lame that these are carrying? It's got different layers of meaning, and I'll give you a few of the meanings. One is you take other people, you give them to them because they cannot do it, you help them do it for themselves. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you dress me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? When I was sick, did you attend to me? When I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? All these things, that's how we meet people in that place of need because that's the criteria of salvation. He didn't say, he says the sheep will be on the right, the, the, the goats will be on the left. He, he didn't say, well, give him, write me a dissertation. He said, when I was hungry, did you feed me? That's how you define a sheep from the goat. Yeah? It's not a taking, the goat takes. Whatever the goat sees, it eats. The sheep are led. They're easy to lead. The goats butt you, headbutt you. Have you seen those programs? They chase you around. My grandfather had goats. I had to run on the hilltops to get away from them in Cyprus. Yeah, I didn't like the look of them. They didn't like the look of me, you know. <laughs> I had to run out of the way, get out of the way, charging at you, seriously. But sheep, they're very placid at sometimes. They follow you. That's where we've got to know the shepherd's voice. And so the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that he didn't make it easy. But the other thing is this. Your soul is represented in the lame the blind, the sick, your soul. And you're carrying your soul to Jesus. Something inside subjective. Objectively, yes, we bring people to Jesus. But our soul is weak. Our soul is suffering. Our soul needs Jesus. So we need to make the effort to come to Jesus. Bring our soul to Jesus. So when you're coming, you're not just coming yourself. You've got a soul, you've got a spirit, and you've got a body. You're bringing your soul to Jesus. And some people's soul is blind. He's come to preach the gospel to the poor, the blind, the, the ones in prison. Amen. Praise God. And so you're bringing, when you make the effort to come to him, you're bringing your soul, you're bringing yourself to benefit the salvation, the love, the healing power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he heals them. Each one of them. And I want to finish on the last portion of Scripture, just to qualify more, just to emphasize more what I'm saying here. And that's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to finish very shortly. Hallelujah. 
And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Again, he went to the house to minister the word. People believe that the house he was in in Capernaum was Peter's house. The word Capernaum means village of comfort. And with Jesus is, we can be comforted. Yeah? And there's multitudes around the house. And in verse 2, we're told this very quickly. Immediately, many gathered together so they, that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And verse 3. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So people were coming from outside, four men bringing a man who's paralyzed on his bed, carrying his bed, which was quite difficult. Verse 4. And they could not come near him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now, you've got to see, for your, again, for your mind's eye, do some imaginary exercise. For your mind's eye, see what's happening. He's in Capernaum in a house. There's, the house is always spilling. There's crowds around the house. The crisis in the house. And the Sadducees were told here, the scribes are sitting down on the seats listening to Jesus. Not one of them makes an effort of the crowd, the scribes, or anyone makes effort to come out and help the man come to the feet of Jesus. And unfortunately, that represents the character and mindset of the world. People oftentimes do not make it easy for you to get to Jesus. Sometimes if there's no obstacles, they put the obstacles. Hallelujah. If there's no doubt, they'll put doubt in your mind. Hallelujah. They make it so hard. They put ring fence God and keep God away from you and keep you away from God. It would have been easy if the people would have just made the gangway, come through, help. No one cares. There's no compassion, no love. And it often happens even in the church. There's selfishness in the church. If a big name preacher comes, everyone wants to swarm around him and get a piece of him. But the people who are weak, who are lame, who are sick, they're in the background. They cannot have a look in with them. And if they want to meet one of the ministers, they have to book in six months in advance. But even Jesus himself watches this spectacle, this circus. It's a circus. He's watching what's happening. They're all around him like the woman with the issue of blood. They're pressing around him, but nobody touched him. And when she touched the hem of his garment, he said, something has happened. Someone has touched me with faith. Not all these curious seekers, all these spectators. Someone wants to connect with me. And she didn't even want to speak. She just believed by just touching me. And power has to, And the disciples said, but look, there's so many people around you. Everyone's pressure. No, no. You don't, this touch is different. This touch is the touch of the hand of faith. Not just mind, not intellect, not knowledge, but faith, simplicity. And my power has left me. I felt the power. He knew what had happened, but he wanted to show them around. There's something different in the way you, you connect and approach Jesus. And in every one of these examples, you see there's always obstacles. And let me encourage you. When there are obstacles, it's the time, it's the con climate condition for God to move in power. When you have a difficulty, just be in expectation that God is going to move in, break into that situation, and transform your life. In that, because of that situation, it faci facilitates the presence and move of God. Hallelujah. And the men had to make an effort. And I'm going to encourage you tonight. Don't be placid. Hallelujah. Be proactive. Be militant in your faith. Those men climbed that wall. 
They couldn't get through the door. They climbed the wall. They broke through the wall. Sometimes it takes tenacity to break through and get to Jesus. Don't accept anything but getting to Jesus. Like the woman with the issue of blood. Hallelujah. Be persistent. And you see God will respond. God will reciprocate that. Hallelujah. Amazing. There's so many examples of people trying to block people's passage to Jesus. And every time they get there because of the attitude of the heart. And God commends them on the highest level. And I want to encourage you tonight. Go back home. Go to your mountain. Whatever challenges you've had this week, whatever's going on in your life, go to that mountain place and pray. And just be in expectation. God is going to move. There is a true living God. There is, God is a miraculous God. God can meet us on different levels if we trust, if we believe. It's not religion. Religion stops you from getting the real thing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is, on, God is in the place. It's up to you how much you want to connect and see God. Hallelujah. So with these few words this evening, be encouraged. Go back to your closet prayer. There might be some effort you have to exert, exert it, and you'll be better for it. Praise God. Let's stand together, and I'm going to ask uh, Bishop Elect to come and pray for the word. and. Pray.